right, I know we had a, it's a great time. Uh, I, I know Alan Kudaberin was undefeated in the ping pong last night. So we're looking for a challenger for Alan to dethrone him today. Had some uh, epic uh, foosball battles. Uh, so we're going to do a little more of that. Who won the uh, Texas Hold'em last night? Gary. Gary. That's awesome. Amen. Well, it's definitely uh, good to be together again uh, this morning, and I want to start our time up with the uh, with the word of prayer before we begin our lesson. Let's go and pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be together in a beautiful setting, on a beautiful day that uh, the brothers and men can get together at this retreat. Father, we pray that as we uh, delve into the scriptures, as we continue to look at the theme of living with purpose, uh, that God, we can open our hearts to your word. The Father, we can see what you want said to us. And the Father, we can walk away from this time this weekend as changed men who are focused on living with purpose. Bless our time now this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to just share a little bit briefly. I didn't get a chance last night, but share a little bit more about uh, myself uh, to begin with here. Uh, both my uh, parents were born in mainland China, and they actually met in uh, the United States. My, uh, my dad actually was fleeing the communists. Uh, from mainland China in 1950, he moved to uh, the U.S. And there he met my mom uh, in New Jersey, of all places. Uh, they were married uh, in New Jersey, and all the kids were born in uh, the U.S. And uh, my dad actually became a minister. Uh, he um, became a minister of Native American uh, tribes. So here we were, uh, as they were uh, married, they uh, started serving uh, as ministers uh, in New Jersey, then in Colorado, where uh, my sister was born in New Jersey, and then uh, four brothers were born in Colorado on an Indian reservation there, and then I was born on an Indian reservation in Montana. And they used to joke how my dad, you know, we had the largest Chinese, uh, largest tribe, the Chinese tribe. They used to call us the Chinese tribe among the Native Americans. Uh, but my mom was uh, almost 48 when I was born. I was not uh, planned, uh, so to speak. Uh, and so I was the youngest of six kids. And uh, again, my mom was almost 48. My mom actually uh, passed away uh, about five years ago in a fire. She uh, perished in a fire. Uh, uh, and that was in China. Uh, but, um, you know, my dad uh, just turned 88 last week. And uh, I turned uh, 44 earlier this month, so I'm actually half my dad's age. Uh, 44, and he just turned 88. And, uh, you know, I've had many different experiences growing up. One of the, the things I remember about my childhood, when I was five, when we moved to Minnesota from Montana, I, um, my, my oldest uh, uh, uncle, my dad's oldest brother, his name was Christopher, from which I was named after, Christopher Lee Tang. And uh, they had no kids. And so uh, my dad, having a surplus of kids, uh, the last two being born unexpectedly, uh, uh, they decided that they were going to, because my dad had six kids and the oldest brother had no kids, and in the Chinese uh, tradition, I mean, it's really important you have a son, right? It's important to have a, a child to continue the, the name. And so they looked through the family, and, and my uh, oldest is my uh, sister May, and I um, said, well, we can't give her because she's not a boy, and they really want a boy. And so uh, they, they decided against that. Then my next oldest, uh, next oldest sibling was my brother Walter. And uh, But they figured that Walter was my mom and dad's firstborn son, so we can't give up uh, Walter. The next uh, oldest was my brother Wayne. And Wayne was a very sickly by nature, got sick a lot as a kid, so they said, you know what, we can't give him up, 
because he's really he gets sick a lot. It'd be hard to take care of them. You know, they're going to be first-time parents, and so let's not give uh, Wayne up. And then they went to move to the next one, Wes, my brother Wes. And my brother Wes was actually really rebellious as a kid, really wild. Um, and so they said, you know, that would be too much for them to try to raise this kid. Uh, so let's not let's not uh, give Wes. And then the next oldest brother was my brother Irving Jr., who was named after my dad. My dad's name is Irving Sr. And so they said, we, we can't give him up because he's the name after, you know, my dad. So they came to me and they said, ah, the golden child, the perfect one, right? And so by the process of elimination, I was actually uh, sent, uh, I still remember this as a five-year-old, uh, going up to Minneapolis um, to spend time with uncle and aunt for the weekend. And uh, as they get ready to pull out in her old station wagon... Uh, being told, you're going to stay here. This is now your new family. And, you know, even as a five-year-old, I still remember, like it was yesterday, uh, holding on to my brother's legs, screaming, yelling, and eventually they peeled me off, and I remember looking out the window, seeing my my family leave. And that was certainly an impactful time in my life. Now, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. After a month, because I became so rebellious, uh, you can imagine as growing up with a family of six kids and my parents, and having uh, that to just living with my aunt and uncle, I became so rebellious. I got in fights at school. Uh, They they basically said, come on back, take him back. (laughs) We don't want him anymore. And so I came back to my family and uh, was raised back in, in Minnesota there. Uh, southwestern Minnesota in Cottonwood. And so that was uh, a marking point at the age of five, but I know that God had a plan through all that. I, I continued to go through high school, and then the moment I shared about last night, uh, sitting there in the driveway wondering, what is life all about? And little would I know that just a few months later, uh, I would be reached out to in December of 1988 on the University of Minnesota campus after finishing my finals of my first quarter, walking back from the, li- or from the bookstore back to my dorms, uh, two, uh, two brothers, uh, which I appreciate these brothers because it was finals week and they were out sharing their faith. And they stopped me in the bridge of the Washington Avenue Bridge that goes across the Mississippi River, connects both campuses, and they, they reached out to me. And actually, I was not open. I actually said, uh, you know, my dad's a minister. You know, I'm, I'm not interested. And actually, one of the brothers uh, persisted and, and bugged me enough to get my phone number. And I went home over the break and actually my heart softened. And so the next quarter began in January. And uh, they called me, and I was actually much more open to, uh, to be able to uh, come on out. Sorry, that's my uh, 10.02 alarm that we still do, and uh, be praying for the 10.02 prayer. Uh, even though it's 10 minutes later, it gave me another uh, snooze there. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a time uh, of just getting together and studying God's Word. And I'm sure like maybe here, just sitting down, having grown up very religious as a minister's son, and just getting into the Word and finding out what the Bible says about what it really means to be a Christian. And uh, it it radically changed my life. Uh, Ironically, um, the first Bible study I had was with uh, someone named Roy Larson, who led the the church in Minneapolis at the time. And uh, just by, just wildly yesterday, my brother uh, in Minneapolis, he still lives there, actually uh, called me. And he said, uh, I want to talk to you because I just met last week. And this is not related. He, he's actually since left the church many years ago. But he uh, called me and said, I want to talk to you because I, I'm looking for a job. And I just met with this guy, Roy Larson. And uh, 25 years later, he, uh, he met my brother. And it's totally business related. But I just there was a flashback to the past because Roy was the first one to sit down with me. And Roy talked about what it means to love God. 
what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. And I studied the Bible and on December, or I'm sorry, January 31st, 1988, uh, I was baptized into Christ on Super Bowl Sunday. I may be the only one. I've met a lot of people baptized on Super Bowl Sunday, but I may be the first because it was that Washington Redskins versus Denver Broncos game. You remember that? The old timers here. It was when um, Doug Williams was quarterback and they blew open the game in the second quarter. So I was actually baptized during the Super Bowl. It was such a blowout at the end of the third quarter. They said, you know what? This game is over. Let's go and have the baptism. So during the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, I was baptized, and uh, it was awesome. I remember getting baptized. I was uh, rushed away to I had an intramural basketball game that night. They rushed me over. We only had four people show up on our team as a co-ed uh, recreational basketball uh, game, and we got beat by like 50 points. Uh, but I was the most happy loser ever. I was running up and down. My hair was still wet. We were getting blown out. I just was as excited as you could be. And uh, so that's my first uh, introduction kind of in, into my life. But, you know, God's certainly done amazing things. And as we talk about living our life with purpose, it all starts with our walk with God. And so today we're going to talk about walking uh, with God. And to, to ask yourself this morning, how am I doing in my walk with God? You know, we can't go on with talking about living with purpose until we first examine. Where is our walk with God today? You know, I remember at the uh, 10-year anniversary of the Wichita Church, I got up there and I realized that, you know, this is a, a men's retreat of, of marriage and singles. It's not a campus retreat, but I remember getting up at the 10-year anniversary service for the Wichita Church of Christ, and uh, back then, uh, younger, and sharing about running with perseverance, and that was my theme in the communion. And then uh, Mike Eisenberg, who uh, was in the ministry, he got up and, and shared the lesson and talked about walking with God. He made a joke because he talked about how, as campus students, we really do run with perseverance. As we get older, we start not thinking about running as much as much as walking uh, with God. That's kind of where we are in life. And so I thought it was more appropriate talking about walking with God this morning rather than running uh, with God. Amen? Well, let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to look at Enoch. And Enoch was, was someone that we know as, as a man who walked with God. And in Genesis chapter 5, beginning verse 21. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. You know, here we read the, uh, the incredible story of Enoch. And, and as Enoch walked with God 300 years, it says he walked with God, then he was no more because God had taken him away. You know, as we look at this passage, there's three things that kind of jumped out to me in this passage here in Genesis 5. The first thing I noticed is if you look at the, the genealogy here, if you look in chapter 5, I actually went through and I averaged the, the average life expectancy of those that were living from Adam to Noah. And the average life expectancy was 912 years. 
In fact, the oldest person we know in the Bible was Methuselah. 969 years. The oldest person in the Bible. I don't even think I'd want to live that old. You know? uh, but Enoch, it said here, lived only 365 years. Almost 550 years less than the average life expectancy. And the first thing that jumped out to me was it's not how long you live, but it's what you do with the years that you live on this earth. You know, here in our society, you talk, you hear everything about living longer life and diet and exercise and all these things that keep you young. But you know, it's really not about how long you live. It's about what you do with the years of life here on this earth. You know, the second thing I noticed is when everyone else died, Enoch did not. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. You know, from the interpreter's Bible, it has a commentary, it says, When the good man dies, God takes him, and he goes to be with God. He goes to be with God, because he has learned to be with God already. Our time on this earth is for us to learn to be with God. Are you learning to be with God? Because when you think about it, the rest of our eternity is going to be with God. So we've got to learn to be with God as we live our lives right now. Imagine today if at camp we noticed Geo Garza's missing. And we started thinking, hey, anyone seen Geo? You know, our worship time has started. And so we went up to the cabins and Geo was no longer there. He missed breakfast. We searched, we, we just called out the worship. Let's do a, a search throughout the campgrounds. His, his vehicle was here still. Uh, we went through, last time you seen Geo, I saw him last night. And I heard his, his, ca- uh, his cabin was up late from all the laughter. Uh, that was going on. Uh, but you know, we, we went and, and all the stuff, we, we searched everywhere. And imagine what it would have been like, what it would be like to say, you know what? We've concluded. God took Geo. Finally took he finally took him. He, he's not wandered off. We, God took Geo. And imagine that. Imagine, you know. Figuring out who's going to make the call to Karen. You know, I, I vote Ron. Ron, you, you're the one who needs to call Karen. God just took Geo. Geo's disappeared, but we figured that God took him away. That's what it was like with Enoch. God took him away. Why would God take him away? A little girl was telling the story of Enoch in her own way. Enoch and God, she said, used to take long walks together. And one day they walked further than usual. And God said, Enoch, you must be tired. Come into my house and rest. You know, thinking about how close a relationship we can have with God. That God would just say, you know what, I want to take you now. You know, another interesting thing, a third thing that I noticed, was that it was after he became the father of Methuselah that he walked with God. Interesting that he'd become a father. And once he became a father, then it says he walked with God. Now, for... The dads in this room, I'm sure you can attest, our kids will drive us to our knees in prayer to God. Amen? Amen. You know what that is? I mean, you know, uh, I know we have father and sons here in this room. Uh, So, you know, our kids will drive us to be closer to God. And for Enoch, when he had Methuselah, after that something happened that he walked with God. Whether or not the ancient writer explicitly meant to say so, certainly it is true that often the first real turning 
of a man's heart toward God comes as a result of some deep experience that awakens in him new emotions, a great joy, a blessed opportunity, a sorrow, a relationship that stirs the depths of his soul. You know, in the early history of Israel, there seems to be no expectation of personal immortality. The only way in which a man's spirit would survive would be in the children, in his children or in the clan and the nation. You know, for those parents, you know, they realized when they had children, it had a profound impact in and on their life. I really believe that today, for those of us who are fathers here, that having our kids should have a profound impact on our relationship with God. When you think about it, we become more like God. We can experience God more. We know more how God feels. You know, when you think about when I when I had kids, man, I understood the cross so much more. Now, I don't have boys. I've, I've got two daughters. But I can tell you what, I, I can understand all the more what sacrifice that God made in giving His Son to die for us. But we become more like God. We should have a deeper understanding of who God is because we understand what it means to be a father. You know, I think about the birth of our oldest. And uh, it was uh, amazing because uh, we, we were married in 1996 and we're in the ministry. And so it was a very busy time. And we end up, uh, two years after marriage, uh, getting the call to move to Wichita, Kansas. And so we moved to Wichita and decided uh, shortly after, you know, I think we want to start having a family. You know, but sometimes your plans and God's plans don't match up. And so we actually had a very difficult time uh, having children. Uh, we, we struggled. Uh, we went through, uh, you know, week after week, month after month, uh, and then year after year of not being able to have kids. Um, and it, it was to the point where we tried everything imaginable. You know, Rebecca started trying some medication. Uh, uh, we were seeing, seeing doctors, specialists, uh, even a uh, Chinese herbal doctor. Uh, started taking deer, deer antler marrow for a while. We're trying everything, you know. Uh, we're figuring, hey, whatever we can do. And, and at some point, we just we surrendered. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. But I remember the, the, the news after almost seven years. Uh, almost, you know, several years of trying, but seven years after being married and found out we were pregnant. And uh, it was an amazing joy. But even then, it was a very ch- a challenging time because even after getting pregnant, uh, it was very difficult because Rebecca had a lot of complications. And I'll share more about that uh, later in the lesson. Um, but, you know, I, I still remember going to the hospital and, and seeing Rebecca give birth. And for the dads here, you can picture the firstborn, especially the firstborn, but your successive kids that you've had. But, but I, I just remember it was a moment I will never forget. And, and you have to be there, but it's like everything just, you know, you're waiting. And it took Rebecca. We went in at midnight, and she had uh, Caitlin uh, at 12.30 the next morning. So over 24 hours of in the hospital. And so you're agonizing. You're thinking that it's going to happen. And they even said, okay, she's getting really close, and it should be this afternoon. And then it didn't happen in the afternoon. And, and it, you just kind of get prolonged and prolonged, and it seems like it drags. And then, and then finally that moment comes. And I tell you, it was a slow motion moment. Because when Caitlin, was, was, when Caitlin came out, it was just miraculous. I mean, you know, the tears of joy, uh, the amazing thing to experience. I mean, it, it kind of goes from slow motion, all of a sudden full speed. And all of a sudden it just happens and you don't know what's going on. And, and I'll, I'll never forget this. I mean, even, you know, I don't want to get too, too graphic here, but, you know, some blood spilled out. And, and there's a drop of blood that landed on my shoe. 
and uh, it was just a memento. I kept those shoes for, for a long time, and that, that, that drop of blood was a reminder of our firstborn child uh, being born. I mean, I didn't show it off and say, hey, this is the blood that Rebecca spilled, you know, I didn't do that. Uh, but it was amazing, and, and I think about the profound impact that having a child has, and I want to really challenge us as fathers, those of you who are fathers, to let your children deepen your walk with God. I really believe one of the challenges we have is that our kids should really impact us to draw closer to God and really be near to Him. But suddenly I've seen what happens in our, in our life, and, and I certainly get challenges from time to time, and I believe it happens in our fellowship. That in fact, we elevate our kids sometimes to be like God. And so, in essence, our kids actually draw us away from God. And pretty soon, it's all about them. And suddenly, the things that we want, and, and we want to have great things happen for our kids. We want our kids to do awesome. We want them to, to succeed academically, and in sports, and all the things they're in. But sometimes we can be more concerned about them being able to throw baseball, or throw football, than teaching them to love God. We can be more concerned about them knowing social studies and science and excelling academically than them growing in character so they can become disciples someday. You know, having our children, just like Enoch, helped him to walk with God. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, because a Hebrew writer talks about Enoch a little bit more and gives us, sheds a little bit more light on Enoch. Amen. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was one commended, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You know, before Enoch was taken, it says that he was one who was commended as one who pleased God. You know, perhaps it's because he pleased God so much that God could not wait any longer to be with him. And so God decided, you know, uh, He pleased me so much, I don't want to wait for Him to die. I want to take Him to be with me right now. Would God say that about you today? Are you pleasing God so much that God's considering whether to take you now so you don't have to experience death? The question is, have you been living to please God or living to please yourself? If we're not careful, even as disciples, and this is a big challenge for us today, we start to get caught up in pleasing ourselves. Now, we're we're not going to say that. We're not going to say, you know, how are you doing, bro? Well, I'm just living to please myself. You know, we're not going to come out and say it. We're more spiritually minded. We, we know the right things to say. We're, men, men, many of us here are older Christians. We know the right things to say. But when it comes down to your life, and as people look at your life, would they say you are living to please God or you're living to please yourself? Sometimes the greatest concerns and the things that come into our minds and things we think about, the worries and anxieties. Sometimes it, it's no longer about struggling and helping someone become a Christian and helping strengthen a brother who's weak or seeing our families become Christians or, or 
our Bible talks growing, or our family groups expanding, or a new mission team going out. Sometimes those concerns and those things that are mine suddenly become about financial things. Our retirements, my job, how are my kids going to do? Our home, and all these different things. And so we start being consumed with things that really, when it comes down to it, pleases ourselves. Our goal is not to be comfortable. It's to sacrifice to please God. God is looking for men that will please Him and sacrifice to do so. I tell you, this comfortability thing is really a challenge for us. You know, when we decided to move five and a half years ago to Santa Barbara... We had been in Lawrence, Kansas, and really been in a, a you know a, a really great situation. I would say it was a self-supporting church. Uh, it was had been set up. We had everything kind of set up, and I, I remember actually Rebecca and I talking about our decision. And one of the things that made the decision clear for us is all the reasons we thought about staying had to do with being comfortable. And we realized that, you know what, if we move, we're going to move from a situation that was really nice and comfortable to one where it was not going to be comfortable. And there's about 20 so disciples in Santa Barbara. We knew that we needed to grow. We're going to have to get out there to campus every day. We've got to start a campus ministry. And actually, it was challenging and convicting and yet so encouraging to make a decision to get out of our comfort zone, to do something that would make us get on the edge to not be comfortable in our life. I want to ask you today, what is making you comfortable in your life? You know, this is a challenge for us now, even in Santa Barbara. Now we're, we're almost self-supporting, amen? But now we've almost gotten a stage of being comfortable. And almost like we're getting to this goal of getting comfortable again. And what I realized, we got to get back on the edge and continue to preach just like we came when we came five and a half years ago. Are you comfortable in your life? Or have you been sacrificing to please God? You know, comfortability really does take away from our walk with God. I, I tell you, any great men in the Bible that you read who, who walk with God, they did not live comfortable lives. You know, we look at Jesus. Would you, uh, would you say, yeah, Jesus had a pretty comfortable life. You know, I, I was thinking about it. He had no place to lay his hat. Maybe we feel like that from last night in your box. You know, I have no place to lay my head. Michael was sharing about his cot. If you turn one way, it kind of collapsed, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's Jesus. He had no place to lay his head. You know, Paul, you look at Paul's life. He, he talked about his resume, man. He had sleepless nights. He was out in the open sea. He was running from, from false brothers. I mean, he lived anything but a comfortable life. We've got to be challenged today with not getting comfortable in our walk with God. I want to call us today to really walk with God as Enoch did. You know, to walk together with a human friend has direct correlation to what it means to walk with God. Now, I don't know if uh, the, the marriage here take walks with your wives. Any, any of us here take walks with your wives? Okay. I encourage you to do that. Rebecca and I, we, we like to walk at the beach. Uh, it's beautiful areas in Santa Barbara. So we love to just get on the beach and walk. But you know, there's a direct correlation of what it means to walk with God. It's to have the same goal and so to be moving in the same direction. It is to have a peaceful and happy sense of companionship along the way. It's to have unforced, spontaneous conversation as one goes along. Sometimes it keeps silence and just feel the other's presence. Sometimes to speak out what is in one's mind and heart. Sometimes to listen to what the greater friend will tell us of the road ahead, what to look for, and the goal to which we go. You know, I love this picture of just walking with a friend. 
And I really believe that's the relationship with God we need to all strive for. Walking with God as a friend walks with his friend. You know, the Bible doesn't say here, Enoch doesn't say about Enoch that he ran with God. He sprinted with God. He jogged with God. But that he walked with God. I think there's something about walking. I know that I don't do it as much as I need to. It's funny because as you get older, you start thinking about walking more. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I like walking now. You used to like running uh, or jogging, but I'm, I'm liking the walks more and more as you get older. But you know, when you think about walking with God, there's something about walking that just slows you down. It, it means that you've got to go at a slower pace. And I think that a lot of times we're in such a rush and a hurry in our relationship with God. We try to fit in our quiet times before we get off to work. We squeeze it in. We say a little prayer and, and a short Bible study. And, and our walk with God simply gets reduced to something we do each day so we can... Check off something on a checklist spiritually. But you know, we've got to slow down and be able to walk with God. That's what I love about these retreats. You know, I love coming out for a weekend, and I know for me, it's much needed. Because I know we, we can get in a pace of going here and there. And I think about even this, uh, right before this retreat, it's been busy and going here and there. And we had a, a men's midweek up in Lompoc. I was up there Thursday night, got back late Thursday night, and then meeting Jerry LeCher at 6 in the morning next morning. And then a brother was coming in the airport out of rush, and then his flight got delayed. And, and you know, I, my, my schedule kind of gets like that, just hectic, going here and there, meeting this person, going there. Sometimes we just need to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. A great coach, you know, uh, on a basketball team, when they're playing, you know, coach will just kind of tell his players, slow down. They even use this kind of, slow down. Take things easy. I think that's what God says to us at different times in our life. He says, slow down. Spend time with me. Walk with me. Don't get ahead of me. Sometimes we run ahead of God. We've got all these things we're doing, and God says, you know, slow down before you do anything else. Let's just spend some time together. Let's get some time to connect. Let's get some time so that we can be close to each other. You know, in L.A. County, there are 6 million cars. It's a lot of cars. And I was, uh, I was amazed at uh, a few months back driving to San Diego. We were in the carpool lane, and it was great because traffic suddenly stopped, and we just kept going. And I, I was amazed looking over that all these people were just in cars by themselves. And I realize if you get on the road, notice how many, well, don't notice too much because you need to be paying attention straight ahead. But notice how many people just drive on their own. We're in a society that's kind of, kind of individualistic. This whole companionship thing is kind of foreign to us. But I tell you, I was so grateful to have my family where we could kind of breeze on through, where all these people on their own were kind of just stopped. And I think God in the same way says, hey, slow down and spend time with me. That's what's important, that that's what you need to do. It's a sense of companionship with God, a friendship with God. You know, how is your friendship with God? I love just, you know, even on the drive, I love any time I can drive because I get to spend some great friendship time with God. It's great. God and I, uh, coming up to the retreat, we got to listen to the NFL draft for a little bit. You know, uh, I love God just praying. I was praying some and turned on the draft, hearing who was going to be picked next. And, you know, I think God appreciates that. He, I don't think God cared who went where. But, you know, I, I feel like God's, God and I are listening to the draft together. You know, I feel like that. God, God's your friend. He's with you. He wants to know what you're doing. Know that He's always with you, wanting to be your friend. You know, getting back to this point about us or kids. I do want to say that I want to give us a charge here. Really set the example for our children. You know, there is so much that we're shaping with our kids. Our walk with God is directly helping shape their walk with God now 
and in the future. There is a memory I'll never forget that I have of growing up every morning when I came down uh, from, up, you know, from upstairs. Every, every morning my dad would be sitting at the kitchen table reading his Bible. And that, that stuck with me. That stuck with me because I, I know that he's, he's reading his Bible. I tell you something, a young kid, they recognize that. Yes. And it's etched in their brain, and it might not always be there, but you know, th- those memories never disappear. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, are your kids seeing you reading the Bible? Because that's just what you do. You're, you're in the Word. You love the Word. The Word is so much part of your life. Do your kids see you in prayer with your wife? Are the kids being gathered around to have family devotionals? So you can share your walk with God, so they can be walking with God as well. We need to be the husbands and the fathers that God has called us to be, so they can imitate our walk with God. Look over in Genesis 17. Let's just give a few practicals as we uh, close out our lesson. Because I want, you know, I'll share some more scriptures and you can go back and read them more in detail. But I want to really encourage us to really walk with God. You know, we never know what life has planned for us. I tell you, the older we get, we we don't know what's coming up next. Uh, I think life is full of surprises. And we need to be walking with God. We need to be ready. I tell you, if we're walking with God, those challenges that come, they're going to be challenging. It doesn't take away from the trial. But I tell you, when we're walking with God, we can be steadfast in our faith. When we're not walking with God and surprises come, sometimes it can get ugly. I remember back when we were in Wichita and we had the... uh, the uh, Manhattan Church uh, campus ministry came down to do a fundraiser. And it happened to be my birthday. And uh, speaking of surprises, I, they, they did a surprise birthday party for me downstairs in our basement. Uh, but, uh, of course, they were keeping it a surprise. And so we got home from dinner with another couple. And uh, uh, I was getting ready to go downstairs. We had a dog at the time. And so I was trying to get the dog to go downstairs because that's where the food was um, and, and his bowl. And the dog would not go downstairs. And so our dog, whose name was Purdy, uh, I picked up the dog, and I walked down the stairs, and I turned the corner, and then the lights came on, and, and about 40 people yelled, Surprise! And our, the, our dog pooped in my <laughs> All over. And it, everyone just erupted. My wife being the one who laughed the hardest. Now, there's only one person not laughing. And you can imagine who that was. I was not very happy, actually. It was interesting. I, I had my nice Vikings jacket on, which was, which actually kind of described their year that year. They, they didn't do very well. It was an omen of things to come, I think. But, but I went up and I showered. And, and Rebecca, you know, uh, came and apologized. But uh, we laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing at the time, but we laugh about it now. But anyways, sometimes life's like that. You turn the corner and there's surprises waiting for you. Now, here's the thing. We've got to walk with God because we don't know what's around the corner. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You know, God Almighty, we're to walk before Him blameless. Today, as we, we're here at camp, realize we are walking before God. You know, at the end of the, the message here, we're going to have a chance. Because it's one thing to have a message. It's another thing to, to follow through. We're going to have a chance to walk with God with another brother. Uh, to walk with God and, and get some time to pray. But here it says that Abraham walked with God before him blameless. 
You know, God Almighty in Hebrew it means El Shaddai. A special name for God used only six times in Genesis. It means God, the all-powerful one. That's who we walk before when we walk with God. Today, I want to encourage us to make sure we walk before God blameless, innocent. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means without guilt. And so again, what I shared last night, uh, you know, if there's anything that's holding us back or I'm confessing, let's make sure we, we pray about that. We get that out so that we can be blameless before God. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's turn over Deuteronomy 8, 6. Deuteronomy verse 8, verse 6 continues talking about walking with God. It says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you in a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper, all the hills. You know, God has prepared for us and is bringing us into a good land. What we need to do, though, is walk with God and walk in His, re- in His ways with reverence before God. You know, to observe the commands of the Lord our God, to walk in His ways, you know, to make sure we commit ourselves to really getting in the Word. And I want to, again, give us that charge to make sure we're spending great time with God, great time with God in prayer and in the Word. How's your Bible study going? Are you really gleaning some great insights? Are you being reminded of who God is? Is it enriching your life? Is it encouraging and inspiring you on? You know, we need to know God's Word. I know just uh, a couple years back I uh, had the opportunity to... uh, I did a project actually starting uh, five years before of just typing through the, the entire Bible. And it took me about five years, but I was able to type through the entire Bible. And it gave me another perspective uh, of just knowing God's Word where uh, I could be like the prophets and what it must have been like to pen and, and type through the entire Bible. And uh, I realize now actually what a blessing that is because if you notice on Bible Gateway, they've taken out NIV 84. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I actually emailed them and uh, they're, they're just focusing on the new NIV. And so, so what I realized actually is kind of like the, the book of Eli. Anyone see that with uh, Denzel? Uh, at some point, the NIV 84 will be extinct. And, but I know I've got a personal copy because I typed out the, the Bible in the NIV 84. So I might be like the book of Eli there. But you know, I heard a story many years ago about a man who was injured in war. As he's injured, he had memories of his Sunday school days when he heard the Bible. And the story started coming back to him. And he desired to really know God in a greater way once again. He he desired to read God's Word and know God through His Scriptures. But he'd been blinded in the accident, in the war uh, injury that he had had. So he couldn't read. He had lost his hearing, so he couldn't listen. Both hands had been blown off, so he couldn't even use Braille. And so as this man thought about these memories, and that's what, as he sat in his hospital bed, he he was moved, wanting so much to know God's Word, but without these other senses. He started to read the Bible using his tongue, reading Braille, and read the entire Bible with his tongue, reading a Braille Bible. What's our excuse for not knowing God's Word? We have all our senses, you know, we have everything. We, we've got more Bibles now than... We've got Bibles on, 
on our phones. We've got Bibles on the computers. And we have no excuse to really know God's Word and observe God's commands. You know, Deuteronomy 10, 12-13 talks about walking in His ways, loving Him, and serving God with all of our heart. You know, one of the ways we can walk with God is serving alongside others as we love God. Micah 4.2. Let's close out here in Micah. Micah chapter 4.2. It says, uh, He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. And, you know, I want to encourage us in our walk with God to make sure that we have others involved in our lives that are helping us walk with God. I know I've had so many relationships that, that I'm needed. And there have been times in my life that uh, I, I still remember that the most difficult year, and uh, most difficult month in my Christian life in the last 25 years, I still remember the month. Actually, it's interesting because it was the most challenging month of my Christianity and actually what I consider one of the best months. Now, looking back, it was October of 1991. I'd been in the ministry for a few months. I'd gone out to St. Paul uh, to uh, plant the mission planning in St. Paul, Minnesota as a 21-year-old. And didn't know what I was doing. Uh, me and another sister went to lead this mission planning, discipling marriage, you know, with kids. We had no idea what we were doing. In October of '91, we we had a staff meeting. We came together, and uh, the leader of the church then basically. I, I remember asking Dave Pachta was on staff. Some of you might know Dave. I remember asking going into the meeting, Dave, what's this emergency staff meeting about? Uh, you know, why are we having a staff meeting? He said, I don't know. It just got called last minute. Well, anyways, long and short of it, it was uh, a staff meeting to really talk about my pride. And I remember going around. They went around every single staff member, sister included, shared about how they'd seen pride in my life. And at that point, they took me off staff. And this was October of 91. Uh, I left there. Uh, coming off staff, which meant the world to me. That was like, wow, what would happen if I came out of the ministry? And then uh, the sister that I was dating, that uh, we'd been dating for almost a year, she broke up with me. And my entire world fell apart. Everything that I thought. And what I realized about that time was God was stripping me of all these other things where it came down to it was just me and my walk with God. That's all that I had left. I wasn't even asked to bring refreshments to the Bible talk. I mean, that's how little responsibility I had. I went from leading the, the St. Paul ministry to, to being a Bible talk member, and they didn't even entrust me to bring the cheese and crackers. And I remember now, and I look at October 91, it was a decision I made. I, I remember the decision I made was, you know what? I'm going to focus. All I have left is God. And I realized that's all I need. And God, it took God stripping away all these other things, and even good things, for me to just, I feel like God was saying, you know what, I want you. Get back to me. You've been focused on all these other things, and it's about me and you. And that's why today, even though October 91 was the hardest month as a Christian, actually I look at it now 25 years later, or in the last 25 years, as one of the best months of my life. Sometimes God strips things away in our life. Because he's saying, I want you to walk with me. In Micah 6, 8, our last scripture, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Today, let's walk humbly with our God. Let's walk before him blameless. Let's have others in our life that are helping us walk with God. Let's spend time with God. Let's be the husbands and the fathers. We need to be for our children and for our spouse. 
So they can walk with God. So they can draw strength because they see our walk with God and they're inspired. They're challenged in their own walk. They, they, our kids grew up and say, I want to walk with God like Daddy walks with God. And let's walk humbly with our God. Today, let's make the decision to walk with God closely. You know, today we're going to have the opportunity after this. We want to do next is just take the time. I mean, it's great to talk about walking with God. And it's another thing, let's go walk with God. So I want to encourage you here, right afterwards, let's pair up with, with maybe one or maybe two uh, other brothers here. And let's just go on a walk. We've got a great campground. And I want you to go and walk with God. Walk with God together. And let's pray. In our prayers, let's just pray. Again, if there's things we need to be open about, let's be open in our prayer. So we can walk blameless before God. And let's really recommit our lives. The living with purpose. It starts with our walk with God. Let's recommit living with purpose by starting with walking with God in our daily lives. Let's go ahead and this time we're going to break up and just choose one or two others. And then we're going to go ahead and walk with God.